futurely on Sweating the Small Stuff. What if I told you that the most dangerous thing in Jurassic Park isn't the dinosaurs, but the people? I'm sure you'd think, yeah, isn't that like kind of the point of the movie? Fair enough. But what if I told you a movie from the early 90s taught us a lesson that many companies still haven't learned to this day? So today, we are exploring that oldest of threats, the malicious insider, and how Mr. Spares No Expense got it wrong when he could have finally gotten it right. This time on Sweating the Small Stuff. Okay, sorry, I started the Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I've been watching too much Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I don't care, that's going into the recording. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff. I'm your personal brand trainer, Cameron Boozer-Jamaria, and today I am joined by... It's a me, your personal mind fiend, Keon Boozer-Jamari. I don't know why I let you get away with this. I have the, if you heard like my, if you heard what I was saying come out kind of weird, it's because I had the biggest grin on my face that I couldn't say like, I couldn't articulate all of the syllables. I was just smiling so much. Legitimately very excited to be on. Thank you for inviting me, Cameron. So Keon, as I understand it, you're a fairly technically inclined individual who can talk at some length on at least technology and movies. You know, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. Not wrong. So why I brought you onto the show today is because I, I do believe that when it comes to things like Mr. Robot and a lot of the other fun, here's some hackers and weird stuff going on. We've, we've had some pretty great conversations over the years that I think will fit right into the subject for today's episode, which is in Jurassic Park, I think the movie does, an, and by extension the book, did mm-hmm. an exceptional job of introducing the fans to a very realistic representation of a malicious insider. The idea that your staff, the people you pay to run your company, are mm-hmm. the linchpin and the greatest threat to your organization's success. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the character I'm talking about here is Dennis Nedry, played by Wayne Knight. Newman! <laughs> Sorry. No, oh, that wasn't a good... No, 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 that wasn't a good enough Jerry Seinfeld. Newman! <laughs> I, I don't know if that was better. Welcome to the Jerry Seinfeld Corner. It's a podcast within a podcast. (laughs) What's the deal with all the raptors? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's make it back. So dumb. So, (laughs) according to fandom.com, because I wanted to be absolutely certain about this, on Mm -hmm. their Jurassic Park page on Dennis Nedry, they explain his backstory. In the movie, Mr. Nedry was hired by InGen to be a big old computer programmer for Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. While working there, he ran into financial problems either before he got there or while he was there okay. and began to feel that InGen wasn't paying him what he was due for his technical acumen and just because I guess he had a massive superiority complex. Welcome to 2019, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so Nedry decided to accept a job from Lewis Dodson to steal InGen's dinosaur embryos for about $1.5 million in 1993, which was a lot, I think it's like $2.5 million now. Ooh, wait, was that the scene where he says, like, he's screaming out like nobody cares? Like the meme? Okay. That's the scene. So the two meet at a restaurant in San Jose, Costa Rica, where Louis Dodson gives Dennis Nedry half the payment up front and a can of shaving cream with a false bottom designed to hold the dinosaur embryos and keep them secure for 46 hours. Barbasol, as it were. Yes. Barbasol needed that ad placement. For stealing things. For stealing things. Barbasol. For when you need to be a thief. (laughs) 
They also mentioned that uh, Lewis also paid for Nedry's meal because of his full cooperation, but who really cares about that part? Because financial problems. So this is why this detail is so amazing to me. And I think it deserved a lot more attention in terms of the movie playing out. Because, like, obviously he's the, like, he's the linchpin that rolls this from a lackluster park opening to a horror movie being chased by monsters in the forest park opening. Yeah. It's because cybersecurity is, like, all around us. And we like to think that the threat is always coming from, like, hackers or foreign governments. Mm -hmm. But it's easy to overlook that the most capable of taking down your company are the people that you pay. Like in this example, an organization wants your secrets. So they yep. will go after the people you have entrusted them with. The Dennis Nedry is entrusted with the secrets of Jurassic Park because mm -hmm. he's the, the programmer. And it's a lot easier to just pay someone to hack your firewall or just walk into the building and take something out they're not supposed to than it is for a super hacker to breach your mainframe and go past your military-grade encryption and blah, blah, blah. The, yeah. the, the, the weakest link's always just the guy sitting at the desk. Well, yeah. Isn't that called, like, social hacking or something? What, what have you called that? So social engineering... That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very excellent example of when you trick people who work for the company to give up information that they otherwise should not be giving up. But a lot of the mm -hmm. time with social engineering, the expectation is the person you're targeting doesn't know that they're the target. They don't know that they're doing something wrong. Well, I mean, I guess like in social, the social engineering kind of attack, like, isn't that like if you're trying to get to someone's, like get to someone's credentials for their computer and on their security code, it says, what was my first pet? And then you're talking to them and you're like, what was your first pet? And they're like, oh, his name was lol. And so you type in lol and then you get in. Is that exactly. like... Okay, That's, so I mean That like, is social engineering. You're correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say here is that this isn't social engineering because yeah. I wasn't trying to trick Dennis Nedry into handing over the Diano DNA. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, hey, Dennis, here am's $1.5 million. Go get me the ting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he goes, get you that ting. And the ting goes, skippy ting pa pa. I can't believe for a moment that anyone listening to this podcast got that reference. I hope they did. Dude, if they didn't, I'll go do the whole song. We've You've seen me do the whole I've, song. No, we're not doing the song. I might you gotta hop out the, the four door with a four four. It goes no, one, two, three, and you four. You need to okay. stop this now. <laughs> Chilling in a quarry door. Your dad is 44. <laughs> for today's episode, I wanted to talk to. Kind of like, obviously, there's a lot of things that Mr. Hammond could have done to make this entire problem not have happened. Because mm -hmm. it's not just that someone was trying to steal your secrets. You designed this park in such a way that in the process of him stealing the secrets, people died. And there's Shit. no logical reason the park should have been designed that way. So we're going we're gonna to talk through a few of the basics that I know that many of the listeners who listen to this podcast are running CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, and they don't know that this is a problem. Don't laugh. Mm -hmm. They take their jobs very seriously, Keon. Sorry, I don't take mine very seriously. That's yeah, why that's why you're the mind fiend. <laughs> yes. So, without further ado, let's jump into some of the mitigations Mr. Hammond could have done to make himself not a big dumb idiot. <laughs> Number one, background checks. Kian, what do you know about background checks? Do you do you know why we like to do background checks on people we hire? Honestly, no. The I mean, I it makes sense why you know to make sure that they're not some sort of scumbag or you know a, a deviant of any sort. But I guess I don't know if there's like a deep seated reason why we do it. it like a 
systematic reason. When you apply for any sort of clearance or to do anything that probably entrusts people to believe that you are who you say they are, Mm -hmm. we run a background check to figure out, first of all, yes, at least on paper, you are who you said you were. But if you're going to do something sensitive, something that requires, I don't know, some sort of security or sensitivity to your work, you want to have background checks on your people because you want to identify their financial security, their spousal relations, anything that someone else could use to leverage. Oh. Yeah. So if I am having gambling problems, well, maybe I become indebted to the very people who are interested in leveraging my debt for Mm. some sort of gain. At the beginning of, do you remember uh, Star Trek uh, with, uh, what's his name, Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah. Yeah, remember at the very beginning, there's that one guy whose daughter's sick and he works for the Federation? Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of thing, where like his daughter's sick, so Benedict Cumberbatch makes a deal, an unspoken deal, because I'm pretty sure the majority of it's like pantomimed, which is dope. But like he makes a deal that like he'll heal the daughter if the guy goes and blows up Parliament or whatever, like Guy Fox, and the guy goes and does it. So that's the that kind of uh, situation. Yeah, this guy has a thing he can leverage over him that mm-hmm. will incentivize him to do something he's definitely not supposed to do. At the end of the day, the reason you're really trying to do this isn't to say that like this person has gambling debts we shouldn't hire them. It's to say. I know that Dennis has some sort of financial issues. Maybe it's mm-hmm. gambling. Maybe it's the fact that he's just bad with money. Who really knows? They don't give us a lot of context in the movie. And I'm sticking mm-hmm. to the movie. So if anyone who read the book can find that one obscure detail I didn't find, you can you can email us and I might give you a shout out. Maybe. There's a book? Yeah. It's based on the 1990 novel of the same name, Jurassic Park. And I'll wait for the movie. Well, it's uh, <laughs> it's been out for <laughs> 26 years. Dang. Man. Yes. So, Michael Crichton, good work. 93, man. I was born then, huh? Yes, you were born then. Way to out <laughs> yourself. You just doxed yourself on my I podcast. I just myself. <laughs> the point here is, it's just so that you know that this person has some sort of trouble and you need to be cognizant of that. That might affect how much clearance you give them or how you feel about them sharing information. And in the movie, Hammond even goes as far to say... Apparently the quote is... Uh, I don't blame people for their mistakes, but I do ask that they pay for them. And then Dennis says, thanks, Dad. See, this is this is literally why I brought you on the episode. <laughs> good good scenes. <laughs> this is some this is proof that, like, all right, at the very least, he's done background checks on all of his employees, and he knows. He knows that Dennis has financial issues which can be leveraged over him on this super secret dinosaur island project. So that's that's kind of the first thing is you're running your Fortune 500 company. Do your simple math of knowing who your work who works for you. That's it. Number two, even now that you know that these people might have something in their past that makes them vulnerable, it's probably not the best idea to have one person be in charge of all of the most secure, sophisticated code in the park. Mm-hmm. Dennis proclaims that he wrote the code that impacts pretty much every part of the park's most critical controls and this goes to physical security of the buildings the physical security of the paddocks the electrical grid he literally has written code that manages every part of the park yeah speaking of which for a park that size it seems like they only had to like manage all the security and everything they only had like five people so that's actually and i was going to get to like the circumstances in a sec but i'll point out it in the movie the reason if you don't remember the reason it's so sparse on the island is this tropical storm is rolling in and people are advised to evacuate the island because 
I don't know. Apparently you built an amusement park that can't withstand a less than a cat one hurricane. Like in my mind, being on a boat trying to evacuate the island would be the most dangerous place, but I'll let that go. The The thing here is you have a lot to unpack in terms of the, re, the way and the reason this code was written for the park. We can assume that there was in fact a fairly large staff that had to evacuate ahead of the storm. This means that there are probably more than enough people working on park systems that you could have separate teams managing each facet of the park. There's no need for one programmer to be responsible for the linchpin code that goes into your entire secret sauce. Yeah, well. I realize this was written, this movie was from the 90s, which was basically the dark ages of coding practices and version control. Here's the like saddest thing to think about in terms of if this guy is such a coding diva, you you know, there's always that one person on any project, it doesn't even have to be a coding project, that they think that they are the secret sauce yeah. when they're contributing. They're the raw sauce, no ketchup. Boom. <laughs> Yo. Ah. Boom, boom. But th in this case, that character is Dennis Nedry. And the only other programmer who's important enough to stick around during the storm is Samuel L. Jackson's character, which to me implies that he is in some ways the biggest victim of the movie because he had to sit next to Dennis during all those code reviews and then get eaten <laughs> by velociraptors <laughs> off screen. He, he, here's kind of why this is such an important thing to think about is when you're doing software development, you need to make sure that the code you just put into the actual production code environment is actually going to work and not just explode all over the place. And back in the 90s, especially, this meant a lot of manual code reviews. Coding tools that would review your code are not as sophisticated as they were today. So there's a strong expectation that Samuel L. Jackson had to sit there and read as much of Dennis's code as he could probably tolerate. All the while, Dennis was probably sitting there throwing some sort of candy or something at him saying, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you <laughs> saying, done yet? Uh-uh-uh. You didn't say the magic exactly. word. Exactly. And to that point, like, it's not hard to believe that Dennis would be able to sneak something, some malicious code into the park system. Yeah. But there are kind of two ways this probably happened. The one is, with him writing so much code, it's hard to believe that Samuel L. Jackson actually took the time to read all the code. Maybe there were traces but for the most part, he missed all the big hints that there's malicious code in here. Or the more likely scenario that Samuel L. Jackson noticed was onto it, maybe even also getting paid, and said nothing. Oh, interesting. Now, who's the real villain? Bureaucracy. Still Dennis, because he's a monster. And then this kind of goes back to the weirdest, biggest thing about how they developed this park and the fact that you've created a system that invites this kind of malicious intent. This concept of segregating systems and isolating systems in specific silos that are also supposed to, when they fail, fail secure. Fail in a way that they do not cause vulnerability to their adjacent systems. So I'm sure a park this big, with a man sparing no expense, there must have been people doing QA, quality assurance reviews, of this software. And I know, I know someone listening to this episode right now somewhere is going to cringe hearing that, but testing your code and having quality assurance is integral to having reliable products. Okay, wait, wait, yeah, so for the layperson out there that doesn't know what QA is, like, let's, what, what, yeah, give me, give me the, give me the cliff notes. Cliff notes of QA. There is... Testing your code, which is unit tests or any sort of code-based Don't code use more. Test. Don't make me ask you to explain more. What's a unit test? So you have written a unit of code. 
Now you're uh-huh. going to write more code to test just that unit, to make sure that unit does exactly what it's supposed to do in every possible way, no matter how many different ways I bang it with a hammer. Okay. Now, a quality assurance team goes beyond just testing your code with software. They're literally sitting there clicking around on the screen or building these gigantic test suites, tons and tons of tests that hit every part of the system to make sure that no matter how much I bang on this thing with a wrench, it is going to work perfectly. I have no reason not to believe that there wasn't a QA team out there just mashing away on all of the park systems trying to make sure that they were as secure as possible to avoid this exact kind of thing. And you're telling me that no one at any point thought, I'm sure if there was a loss of power to the entire park caused by some sort of strange computer issue, this this would probably be something we'd be worried about. He did say spare no expense, so I feel like that's an expense that he spared. Yes, at this point, I think we've identified several expenses and oversights that he has spared. Well, you know what's one thing that he... Uh, so, are you on, on the coding side more or less done? Because there's, there's, there's a big expense that he did. He didn't even need to spare. It's, it costs nothing that I could mention. Go for it. Being good and personable to your employees. If you've ever uh, listened to a Simon Sinek talk, he talks a lot about how people stay for people, not for money or job or prestige or whatever. And that... It's completely blatant that uh, he said his name is Dennis Nedry, right? Yeah. He w- he did not feel like he was remotely connected to any of his other coworkers or anything relating to the company, and he was just there as a star coder. And that is the worst way to run any company, is that if you don't have a good uh, working uh, ecosystem and you don't have sociable employ- employees that care about each other, people are less likely to stay around. I mean... Most people listening to this can remember a job where they felt alienated, they felt like they didn't really gel with anybody, and they're like, cool, I'll leave, like, it doesn't matter, I can leave whenever, like, I don't feel bad, but then you can remember some of those jobs that you're like, I really like this one person, or I really like these couple people that made each day worth, you know, coming to work and enjoying, and then when they leave, you're like, oh, yep, yeah, nope, I'm good, I don't, I don't mind leaving now, because... They're gone. And that's the kind of thing that maybe there was a person before Dennis Nedry got that uh, offer to betray the company that was like, oh, I really like this person and they make me feel secure at my job. Then they left and he's like, okay, cool. I don't mind like throwing, throwing the entire company under the bus. But that's something that if your employees don't feel like they enjoy the people and the environment, then you know, they're, they're not going to stick around. And at the very, at the very beginning where Hammond says, uh, it's not that I don't want people to make mistakes as I want them to pay for them. That's like, like he says, it's like, thanks dad. It's like, you don't want your boss to be coming around giving you lectures like that. When you maybe make a small mistake or something, you want them to be like, Hey, that sucks that that happened. Sorry about it. Um, just make sure to, it doesn't happen again, you know, like, and still be chill versus having somebody come and lecture you if there's any mistake made, which I mean, in retrospect, it didn't seem like he was actually making a mistake. So it's just, it's interesting to me that that's also apparent in the, in the ecosystem that like most of the people in the movie are like lone wolves of some sort and mm-hmm. that they don't all, you know, they all get together and are friends because of this situation, like this hyper crazy situation, which I mean, adversity brings people together every, like, you know, that's just a proven thing, but it's just interesting that nobody probably would have been friends if this didn't happen. They all would have been quote-unquote, co-workers that are standing around, going to a business meeting and hearing uh, Jeff Goldblum say, you sell it, you sell it, and that's chaos theory. You wouldn't have had any strong connections if it wasn't for this actual situation. So it seems like Hammond didn't really build a particularly good ecosystem for people to even enjoy their work. Yeah, that's... you. you we weren't even there yet, but you crushed it. You freaking nailed mm-hmm. that right out of the park. And 
we'll I'll just say this much because I want to wrap up one last thing about this kind of like the technology itself part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you you are so right when it comes and there are so many extenuating circumstances to think about here. But let me just wrap it up with this one point. Sure. The most important thing about the park's design is that you've created a system where if there's a critical outage of any sort or even a software issue of any sort, there is an expectation, a possibility that this could have happened anyway. It doesn't take a Dennis Nedry for this kind of thing to happen. It sounds like it takes enough things going wrong in order for this to happen mm-hmm. because none of the park systems were designed to fail shut. Like all of the doors didn't lock by default. The power grid seemed connected to everything else in terms of there's no backup power for any of the like parks electrical fences or there's no backup power for park critical systems or you have to go across the entire park over open terrain to restart the park at a power station. Yeah. There are so many little pieces that on their own might not have been that terrible, but because they are compounded by this one major outage prove that this park was nowhere close to being ready to open because one person with a decent amount of code was able to take it down. And I still don't believe it was one man acting alone. I'm still believe that at the very least, this was a series of mistakes Nedry knew to take advantage of. And at the most, it was a bunch of people working together to undermine Jurassic Park's goal. Would it be bad for me to bring up spoilers for the, uh, for the more recent like Fallen Kingdom? I don't think there are any spoilers for the those movies. Go ahead. Well, there's a pretty big one, which is that apparently the uh, rival, or at least the friend to uh, Hammond, uh, who at the same time was doing similar types of testing and research, uh, instead of going with genetic you know, experimentation when it comes to velociraptors and dinosaurs and things that had been extinct, he was experimenting with uh, things that were laying to people that live now, so cloning and things like that, as well as... Uh, I think I think it was mostly genetics, like cloning within that. And so it's interesting that that's also... I mean, they could have been the rival that was funding Nedry. I don't know if they actually give them a name, the um, group that is... I'm pretty sure is, they don't. Yeah, but it could have been either them or uh, or a similar group. But regardless, like, there is... It, it's easy to weasel your way in when you see all of these different issues. And I mean, if you're a close friend of Hammond that's just like, hey, I realize that he's got big ideas but doesn't really like give people what they need to do what they need to do it's probably pretty easy to come in and you know ruin the whole thing exactly and that's the thing is like at the end of the day i don't even think anyone who wanted to undermine their work had to do a lot of footwork to figure that out because it's very clear that there are loose pieces all over the place to i I want to be a little fair to what happens in the movie in that there are some gotchas that i can understand Mm -hmm. about this movie the movie sets up a very specific situation in which this was allowed to occur Mm -hmm. so the first is they were rushing to open the park and now they have to bring in these people to quote unquote inspect the park ahead of a person's murder which Mm -hmm. is like the first red flag is that a person died because your basic protocols not even anything doing with your technology were not up to snuff so a common practice, I'm sure lots of people working on any size project, whether it's software engineering or a school project or anything, you know that when you have to get it to production, when you have to get that final product out, sometimes if you're on a deadline, you start cutting corners. Mm-hmm. The second was, this was a fairly secretive project. I mean, you were building an amusement park full of dinosaurs. Yeah. 
And furthermore, you're doing some incredibly high level genetic experimentation. So there's a high demand for secrecy, which can lead to this kind of inability to share information because you're not supposed to share information that other people are not supposed to be privy to. And it's hard to tell what that is when everything's hush hush and silent like this. Mm -hmm. And the last thing is because of, and this is the linchpin that sets off Dennis's opportunity. You have this inclement weather that for some reason you have built a park that cannot withstand a tropical storm in <laughs> an area known for hurricanes and tropical storms. <laughs> and so as this inclement weather is coming in, everyone's being advised to evacuate. And this is the moment he sees they're short staffed. If anyone sees him leaving, they're probably going to be more focused on their work than actually paying attention to where he's going. And this is the moment when it's ideal for these things to happen. So with all that fun stuff out of the way, I think I just want to recap for all the Fortune 500 CEOs listening right now. In the end, the point of this episode is that the most important elements of any business are the people. As Kian did an expert job pointing out, you should expect your employees to be able to do their jobs that they are hired for. And the best thing you can do is to keep in touch with your employees and treat them like people. A good mm -hmm. manager understands their employees' needs and are willing to go above and beyond to work with them. I'm not expecting you to pay Dennis Nedry's bills. I'm also expecting you to hear him out like a human being and tell him that <laughs> you understand. I also need to know when someone is too much of a liability to have the authority that you have given them. So if Hammond knew that Dennis had all these things wrong, why did he still let this guy be the linchpin of the park? If I know you're on a deadline, but you have another star coder who's supposedly Samuel Jackson, and you sent a bunch of people off the island who at least one or two more of them could have stuck around to help. An episode of, uh, I think it was uh, Lessons from the Screenplay, remarks on the fact that like the poetic justice that's that comes with like the mistakes that Hammond makes, when he says, spared no expense, he, he it shows that he spared no expense on the things that were superfluous that show off mm -hmm. that he spared no expense the the scene in question is when he's they're eating ice cream in the uh uh like the food court area yeah. while you know uh the the other characters are in harm's way and so he's talking with um I, I, what was her name again the uh the dr female. sattler yeah dr sattler who um they're sitting there and she even remarks that like this she's like this ice cream is actually really good and he says spared no expense like under his voice mm -hmm. and that's like the perfect moment of him understanding that like that is the bane of like him saying that is the his his ultimate flaw is that he spared no expense for everything that doesn't matter like the ice cream like the cool cars that go down the road on a track mm -hmm. like the cool monsters but not about the things that matter like your employees like security like uh redundancies things to make sure that you're up and running well before you even you know consider any of the other fluff stuff and the point here is that like all of those details come back to people at the end of the day your organization unless you do everything yourself is made up of people Oh, yeah. All the cool technology and all the cool gizmos and all the best things in the world don't make up for the fact that if your employees aren't committed, then they aren't going to do good work. And the mm -hmm. sad truth here is Hammond knew the whole time that Nedry was a risk and cut corners anyway, which means that everything that happened was in no small way also Hammond's fault. As much as you want to blame Nedry, people died because John Hammond didn't do his due diligence as a CEO and a leader. Sparing no, no expense doesn't mean you did things right. I like that. Anyway, I have been your personal brain trainer, Cameron Buzar-Jumeri. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Kian, as the personal mind fiend, would you like to plug anything? 
Mm-hmm. Your personal mind fiend, Keon Boozer Jamari, can be found at his own personal podcast called Lock L A W K Life Advice with Keon. Cameron's guest art, guest star in a bunch of the episodes. They're super fun and more about self motivation. You can also find me on Instagram at keonboozer.cinema and uh, Print Three D LLC. Those are uh, the three D my three D printing. Well, I mean my photography and three D printing Instagrams respectively. And uh, yeah, I'm all up. Uh, I'm all up on the internet. So uh, give me give me a shout. And Cameron, you you keep on keep on keeping on. I love this show and I love what you're doing. I'm really glad to hear that, buddy. And as for us at Swaying the Small Stuff, you can find us at Small Stuff Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We also happen to have a Patreon for Small Stuff Show, and I really hope you guys Ooh. will go check it out. My plan is to start setting some hilarious goals, mostly in terms of getting more listeners. And as we get those listeners, we'll come up with fun, different ways to celebrate. So Hell thank yeah. you all for uh, being just an excellent community. And I hope if you've been enjoying the episodes, you've been sharing them with friends. Uh, you've been leaving reviews on iTunes. And if you have to- or ideas and topics for episodes, you'll reach out on smallstuffshow at gmail.com or with hashtag smallstuffshow on Twitter. And again, your personal brain trainer, Cameron Boozer Jamari, reminding you from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. The tingles, pa pa ka ka ka.